Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as the February Room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. As a young team, we anticipate the day we turn 21 to legally participate in bar hopping and earn nicknames such as Sidewalk Sally. So imagine the festivities that are created when a fly fishing shop in Wisconsin celebrates their 21 years in business. You betcha, they celebrate. Welcome to the podcast, Tim Landwehr, owner of Tightlines Fly Shop in De Pere, Wisconsin. How is it going? It's going awesome, Lauren. Thank you. What a nice intro. I like that. You betcha, <laughs> well, you, eh? You betcha. You know I had to get. You know I had to throw in my Wisconsin accent in there. And uh, you know, if there's one thing that Wisconsin is probably known for, I think one time I was like, I think Montana is starting to be the number one drinking state, and I said that in front of a Wisconsin person, and they. It wasn't even like I, they took that very seriously. Absolutely, like, because oh, you're wrong. Wisconsin like, you're is. Wrong. You're, you're dead wrong. I think he probably looked at me with a beer, chugged it with this stare and was like, you are wrong. And I was like, oh yeah, no, seriously. I mean, you take your drinking seriously. And I, I have to say, I love Greenbelt. That's like one of my favorite beers up awesome. there to drink. I and, like all like, beer. And Spotting Cow. Spotting okay. cow. Okay. Spotted That's... cow is good. Every every one of the clients that comes in from out of town, especially from Illinois, that we guide for smallmouth, like they are leaving with it's like a smoky and the bandit, like like they're they're shuffling this across the state lines kind of a deal. Like how as much spotted cow as they can get. <laughs> I know. I think it's because it's um, something I can't get, especially grain well, belt. Like that's a really great, just kind of like afternoon uh, fishing for smallmouth. That'd be a good. That's a good combination. That, that's a good boat beer, and it's a good lawn mowing beer. I always, as a Wisconsinite, we look at like lawn mowing beers, and that would qualify in that in that program right there. Lawn mowing beers. I but, love that. Uh, but um, no, it's we're we're pretty good at drinking here in Wisconsin, and yeah, they do take that very serious. Well, I and congratulations, and also congratulations on the twenty-one because I think what's so great is you guys are also creating shirts, and I thought that was so hilarious of the fish drinking <laughs> a beer. And I was like, that is perfect. That is well, that's yeah, what we twenty-one legal. looks like. That's You're what twenty-one legal. looks like. And twenty-one in, in in the fly fishing industry is it, it is a pretty exciting milestone. Like it's it's kind of a rare occurrence. I mean, I looked back like when we opened the fly shop. 
first of all, I was like 26 or 27 years old. Like, what a horrible idea. Like, like really <laughs> looking back on it, what a horrible idea. But, um, you know, I had so much on the line, we, we kind of succeeded because I, I was forced into it. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's been just a blur. 21 years has gone so fast and I've met so many cool people. And, you know, like some of my best friends have all come from this weird little industry, you know, in the shop and everything else. I feel very lucky that this podcast has brought me so many people that I've talked to that I want to be friends with every single one of them, including you. Yeah. And um, it's just one of those things like this, this industry feel, feels really big at times, but then when you start talking to someone, it's a really small community um, that you can connect with somebody else that knows somebody else. And you're just like, wow, this is, it's a really cool sport to be part of. It is because it is it is so tiny. An outsider looking into it looks at the fly fishing business as like this humongous industry, and it is so micro and compared to you know, general fishing tackle. But you're right; everybody knows everybody. Uh, you and I had talked earlier. A bunch of yeah, the people that you've interviewed on your podcast and a bunch of the other podcasts we've done. Like I know about half of them because our industry yeah. is so micro. Absolutely. And especially when you start writing books about smallmouth <laughs> and when you kind of start, even if you, like, I think with fly fishing, you kind of start to lean towards the things that you're passionate about, whether it's smallmouth, trout, uh, tarpon fishing. So when you start really kind of even zoning into specifics of things that you really like to target, that circle even becomes even smaller, you know? It it, it does. It's it's so, so weird. I remember just, just, just a quick story on that note. Like I yeah. had brought a group to Bolivia um, for Golden Dorado and we, we were staying at the Chamani um, uh, Lodge. And about a week before that, Sage had sent a number of the dealers out to Bainbridge Island when they had released one of their rod um, their special rods and Tom by from the Drake magazine was there and like Tom and I were having a beer and we're kind of BSing and talking and like one week later I had no idea this was going to happen I'm in the in, in Santa Cruz Bolivia and I hear hey Timmy and like Tom by is like tapping me on the shoulders like what are you doing here I'm like fishing like you yeah I mean that's like that's how our world works you know that's how weird the circle is I absolutely love it. Like, I mean, it really is when you start targeting, there's only so certain spots that you're supposed to go in those short amount of time. So of course, like the chances of you guys actually meeting each other isn't all that weird of a coincidence, no. right? No, it's not. But it's it's just such a mind bender that, you know, you would meet like around the world at that same oh, spot, you know, but it's absolutely cool. no super cool. And you guys are doing a lot over at tight lines. I mean, you guys are doing uh, not just fishing trips within uh, De Pere, Wisconsin, but you guys do travel, uh, do some destination fly fishing. And I would love to hear um, a fly fishing story from either of your destinations. Oh my gosh, that's a t okay. I've got a, I've got a couple of them. There's <laughs> a lot of them. No, like some of the, the the shop itself. We're a full service retail store, obviously, with a location in De Pere, which is essentially kind of south part of Green Bay is where we are. But we teach classes, we teach schools, we have a whole guide operation for smallmouth that we can talk about. But we've also done the destination travel stuff. So we have done trips from, you know, all the standard stuff. When we first started out doing trips, it would be, we're going to take a group to Montana and hire the guides there. And, you know, I mean, kind of typical trips. And then we branched into saltwater. And then you would do like the, the normal stuff. Like you would go to Belize or you would do the Bahamas or Mexico or something like that. And then so many of our customers like really love the travel, but they were looking for like, what is the weirdest thing we can do? Where's the weirdest place that we can go? And so we started branching out into a lot more of the warm water South America stuff. So we do um, Brazil a bunch, uh, done Guyana, um, Colombia, I mean, but a, a ton in the Amazon, a ton in the Amazon for peacock bass, golden Dorado. And we've even done trips for, you know, giant uh, Piaracu or Arapaima. We've done some of those trips too. So a bunch of our customers were just looking for something weird, something different. And that's what we've, we've catered to, not just your basic trips. So we've done anything from Cuba to Venezuela and everything in between. Well, and I, you know, you just said something about like peacock bass, um, how I've never obviously targeted peacock bass in my life. What experience that you've had uh, fishing for peacock? 
Well, I'll tell you, that is, that's one of the coolest things, Lauren. Like, in, I, I listened to your podcast that you did with Stu when you guys were up fishing with Hayward, with our buddies over at Hayward. And you had, you had talked a little bit about how cool the bite was. You know, like when yes. like the fish blew up on it, you had spectacular topwater eat. Well, peacock bass are like that, but on steroids. And some of these fish can get up to, I mean, we've caught them over 20 pounds. Like the Rio uh, Marier, like we've caught 20-pound peacocks. But when one of those eats a topwater or a popper, it's like somebody just threw a bowling ball in the river. You know, I mean, it is an explosion. And, you know, you've got multiple variations of peacock bass, multiple multiple species. But you really have kind of like the, they, they call it a paca asu, which is kind of in between on the, um, what would I say here, on, on its uh, spawning times. And the spotteds themselves that do not have kind of the uh, the vertical bars are, are the strongest, meanest, nastiest, most awesome fish on the planet. So much fun to catch. So, and, and then it's just one of those things where I always tell people, especially when they start looking at like warm water exotic trips through us, I always tell people, here's the thing about a saltwater trip or a trout trip. Whether you're fishing trout in New Zealand, Argentina, Montana, Spring Creeks of Wisconsin, the game remains pretty similar. The environment changes a little bit, but the game cha- the game is similar. Saltwater, the same thing. Flats fishing. It doesn't matter if it's South Florida or if it's Belize or Mexico. It's similar. When you do a trip to the jungle, it's like somebody dropped you on a different planet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, is that a monkey? My God, that is a monkey. You know, and there's like macaws and parrots flying over your head and they've got the Amazonian um, uh, uh, river otters. I mean, these things are like six feet long and bark at you. And then you've got pink dolphins, freshwater pink dolphins. It's it's Jeez. just, it's so amazing. And But that is one of those things. Like those of your listeners are, and yourself, you have to be really careful on those trips because there are fly-by-night operations and then there are really good operations and that is not a place that you want to skimp or go fly by night or DIY kind of a situation. Yes. So there's some dangers. Yeah. Well, I know you said it's like very similar, but like, do you have to use different tactics when it comes to targeting the peacock as opposed to the smallmouth? Like, um, yeah, like what different tactics or mindset do you go into there when you're going, when you're so used to catching like smallmouth and going in these, uh, spring or yep. lakes and then transferring it to these, to the Amazon jungle? Well, the, the cool part about it is, is like the technique is really similar. So most of our warm water anglers that are either musky anglers or smallmouth anglers settle into it pretty easily because it is kind of a shoreline fishery as for the most part. Uh, depending on what you're fishing, you may be fishing in lagoons and stuff, but the retrieve is very similar. You may be speeding it up much faster than you would for smallmouth fishing, but other than that, um, in upsizing your tackle, instead of using seven or eight weights, you're using nine weights just because fly size and then the opportunity of giant fish, etc. But our, our warm water people just settle right in. Well, and you know, it's interesting because I think you saw, sent me some photos and yeah. they are beastly looking. I they're mean, so cool. they're so beautiful. What can you explain maybe the first time um, that you caught one of these beautiful yeah. peacocks? This is an awesome question because I remember I landed the first one. My first trip ever to Brazil and I've been there, I don't know, a couple dozen times. But my first trip, I, my dad came with me on one of our group trips. It was epic. It was like one of the coolest trips, you know, from a father-son situation. And I remember the first peacock I caught was like, it, they call them butterflies or bubaletas. And it's, it's, it's smaller, but I remember looking at it like, this is the most beautiful fish I've ever seen in my entire life. And then you catch another one, you're like, no, no, this is the most beautiful fish I've ever seen. And then the next one's like, uh-uh, this is, I mean... You know, because it's like fishing in an aquarium. And I think that's one of the other things that was so appealing to me um, when we started doing a lot of these group trips, especially for peacocks, was the variation. You know, you do a smallmouth trip and, and when you were talking to Stu about like red horse suckers and then, you know, what are the other what are the other players? And really, there's not a ton of other players other than smallmouth, walleye, pike, muskie. You know, that's, that's the players. Yes. When you're in Brazil... 
um, some of the lodges that we go to, you might catch three different variations or three different species, subspecies of peacock bass, but you might catch 14 or 15 other weird South American cichlids like Oscars and cichlid pike and just just piranhas, three different types of piranhas, just all sorts of cool stuff. So it's it's like it's it's so much fun. Like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because I haven't gotten to go in a couple of years because of COVID. So it's killing me. Man, I just what you just said, the aquarium. When you say Oscars, I'm like imagining this like total aquarium of like fish that you can possibly catch. You know, I was going to ask you because I forgot to even ask Stu about this, but it was interesting because when we went, uh, and this is where I need your opinion on yeah. this. I forgot when Justin and I went fishing um, on the Namakagan, what ended up causing like this epic small mouth i mean we it was like one after the other after the other one catching but before we had this uh epic small mouth like frenzy of just catching them left and right my husband justin put a cast out and a pike like out of nowhere came yeah. and tried to eat it and that is when all the small mouth i don't know if the pike woke them up but it was almost like the pike came ate ate the fly attacked yep. it he brought it in and then all of us, we just kept, you know, fishing that little spot. And then it was almost like that pike woke up all the small mouth. No kidding. Because I mean, it, is that normal? Like all the small mouth like, oh. It's, it's, it's not normal that like a pike necessarily would wake it up. But like we do have what we would classify as like just bite windows. And maybe it was just a coincidence that that pike blew up on it and that pike was still in that fish's bite window. But we have some of those just weird situations where like, it goes from nothing and all of a sudden everybody's looking up you know it's 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 a yeah. weird phenomenon but that's that focus it's like that laser focus that you have to be on i've had customers in my boat on certain days like well tim they're just not biting i'm gonna just take a little break and i'm like well how will i know when they are biting then you know <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like somebody <laughs> like has to angle because you're gonna have to roll because i want you know i'm waiting for that wanna- window yeah. Well, and you know, it was, it, you know, the term of like a football, I mean, it really felt that way. Like all of a sudden they just like came out from wherever they were and you mm-hmm. could just see these little footballs oh, yeah. down at the bottom. And um, I was just curious because, you know, you have written a book about yep. smallmouth. Yep. What made you decide that a book needed to be written about smallmouth and um, like all the things that you had to write about it? Like you think people were missing out on the opportunity to know about smallmouth and how the tactics to catch them? The interesting thing about like smallmouth bass is like it, it it's not been an uncovered secret since our book has come up. Like like people have fished very very in depth for smallmouth. When you look at like some of the guys like historically who are the the big deals in this sport, it would be like your Dave Whitlocks, your Lefty Craze, your Harry Murrays. Um, you know these guys had chased smallmouth far before the book came out. Now, we were the first operation in all of the upper Midwest to ever bring drift boats here as an outfitter and guide for smallmouth. That's one thing I'm super proud about. And what I noticed, everything that I had ever read about smallmouth or everything that I ever heard about smallmouth, and you'll hear me use this term a bunch in different podcasts that I've done, is everything in our sport is very trout-centric. We use that pretty loosely that we've always tried to catch smallmouth using tactics that we've used for catching trout. You know, that's because that's what we had. We had big streamers yes. and things like that. And and most of the stuff that had been written up to the point that we did our book was really kind of based on that. And then the basic regurgitated knowledge on smallmouth bass that had happened for X amount of years leading up to it. But since that time, we had seen this big change of larger streamer patterns, much bigger streamer patterns than anybody had ever been fishing for smallmouth. And then we saw wiggly style finesse style fishing for smallmouth and sight fishing and understanding how the smallmouth should be treated and none of that stuff was actually put into a book so a friend of mine dave karzinski um approached me he's he's an author and he said timmy with this needs to you know with your guide staff our guide staff will do i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trips a year you know we might have done ten thousand smallmouth trips since we've been open so we have this crazy pool of knowledge between these guys. So even though my name is on the book, like this book came from these guys, you know, like drinking beer at the end of a guide trip and like 
talking about what happened and that's how that that formulated so i'm super proud of it because i've i've, I've, I've it's in its third printing um you know th- there's a lot of guys that are referring to it as kind of the the bible of smallmouth fishing because that stuff wasn't written about talked about before and that's that that's why we started the book and like i said it's it's it, it's it's changed a lot of people's thought on the fish and and we're seeing more popularity um too small fishing a bunch more i mean i'm obviously a huge fan i didn't even think any fish could fight the way that a smallmouth does and, 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 and you're dead you're dead right lauren and that's what ends up happening a bunch of times people who are trout anglers and i i, I was a trout bum period like i yeah. trout fish um but we'll have people come and fish with us who've never caught a smallmouth and they're like oh my god tim this is a really big one this is a really big one <laughs> and it's like a 14 or a 15 which is a great fish but it it fights ten times harder than not no disrespect to to trout, but fights ten ten times harder than a trout yes. does. Yes, I mean it was probably the first time where you know I always like when I'm trout fishing here. I mean I think the you know the largest fish I've probably ever caught on a trout is probably like fifteen inches, which yeah. is pretty pretty it's nice. A, it's a great fish. Up here. But I can strip the line, you know, yes. like I, I have never had to practice. Yep. Like with the reel, and I realized. Up there, I need to get my line on the reel because I was like, "What?" Well, I, my, I thought fish. my rod was gonna break, and it was like you said, between like 15, 16 yep. um, inches, yep. and they are fighting fish. What is the most interesting thing that you learned about smallmouth while le- while writing this book that you hadn't learned before? Well, the thing that we we learned that that was the most important thing is if you just go down the river. And cast popping bugs or big streamers to the shoreline, you're gonna be you're gonna have enough success just doing it that simply to number one think you've kind of got it figured out, and, uh, and number two to satisfy like oh you know like I'm I'm getting these fish, but what we have learned now after so much of this is like understanding the behavior pattern like we can read fish like if I see them. You can kind of figure out what mood they're in and how you can get them to eat. There's there's more complexities to the sport of smallmouth fishing than what we thought back then. You know, like we thought you just go down the river, cast to the banks, <laughs> and you can still do that. But the details, um, it's it's a long story, so I won't won't bore you. It's it's one of the chapters in the book about the wiggly patterns. And the wiggly patterns are basically bastardized versions of like Chernobyl ants that you would use out west for trout. Um, but everybody had been just fishing big giant stuff. But we would see some of these smallmouth that we refer to as passive feeders that would just kind of mill around. And if you threw big giant stuff at them, they didn't care. They, they, they weren't in that aggressive mood. But they would eat these real quietly, swim on over and oh. sip them in. And like that has changed. Our shop has kind of been known for kind of some of that finesse tactic stuff uh, because it's so cool and it's so not in the smallmouth realm. That's one of the things that that we get questions on a lot in the book is that style of fishing. I mean, I love that. I love that it's a sport that's always changing. Like these fish are starting to decide and change their way of methods of eating yes. um have you seen a lot of difference between the 21 years since you've opened up the shop of your your way of um fishing for smallmouth like you wouldn't go the same way that you did it super, 21 years ago super good question super good question because one of my this is very timely one of my good friends taylor page had sent me an article from i think it was somebody in in fisherman and a couple of biologists that talked about imprinting and fish's understanding of memory and you know uh, basically how long does a lure shelf life work before they don't eat it the same way and there's a lot of schools of thought on this where like that's not true their brain is the size of a pea and that's not possible (laughs) well i can tell you for certain they eat different now for certain yeah I, i have I have got practical experience of years ago going down the river in the middle of June, July, August, fishing big murdich minnows and streamer patterns and never fishing on top because we never needed to and they would just eat the hell out of that streamer pattern all the time, you know, wow. forever. Now, they will follow some of those streamers. They'll still eat them really well, but they'll follow them. They'll sit behind them before they grab it. You know, they're, they're, they're 
they they know what's up and and some of that finesse style fishing on some heavily pressured stuff is still working super well because they haven't figured that out but yeah things have changed and i i can i would have that debate with any of the smallmouth experts and guides out there that we've changed how they feed on heavily pr- fished fished rivers and ours isn't heavily fished but it's fished enough you know where oh. they get poked enough like don't eat that that's a bad idea Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that can easily be said with trout fishing around here too. I mean, um, I think especially when you have more people starting to come up here and go fishing, these fish are starting to be a little bit more particular, you know, um, as opposed to, I mean, I've gone up the mountains and done some broke, you know, like fish that I've never, and that is, that is fun. I mean, that is, yeah, the dumbest toast. They're so yeah, dumb. Just, yeah. I mean, that is a great way to learn how to fly fish. Your line yeah. can be hundred percent gross, awful, and yep. they'll be like eating at the line and then they'll kinda of make their way on. They're like, well, what is this? Where's where's this line leading me to? Oh, there's a bug. You know? And right. you're like, this is the best. And yeah, I so remember good. when Dust and I first I was like, I am the best angler out there. Right. And then when he, you know, took me on to like the Blackfoot, I was like, right. Wow, that that's um that makes me feel a little bit better that I'm not as great as I you know you have well, to really practice on the casting you know oh most certainly and then you you look at like kind of what you just touched on before you could use a size 12 or a 14 print speedhead print sniff and now on some of these fisheries you have to fish like a size 24 um you know micro micro wd40 <laughs> or something like like belly button lint size flies like it's oh. it's, it's gotten crazy that stuff still blows my mind. How? How yeah. is that at all possible? But you know, I guess I guess elephants eat peanuts. You know, they eat small stuff. You just got to eat a lot of them. You know, I don't know if I, they actually eat peanuts, That's but a great, in shows that's they a do. Great, <laughs> when, well, when the circus existed, right? I, don't, I think my son even asked, like, "Can we go to the circus?" I'm like, "Aren't the Ringling Brothers? That's not out of business these days." <laughs> But you know who so. isn't out of business is Tightlines. That's right. You guys been in business, so let's talk about some good yeah. business that's okay. going okay. on. Okay. Yeah. Twenty-one years. I mean, mm-hmm. that is incredible. Um, as anybody who um, is in any kind of business, um, and especially when you're in the beginning, it's really hard to see how you can keep momentum going and you have done a beautiful job keeping the momentum going Um, what can you say is the success to the business of being in business for 21 years well here's the success of the business i have been married to my best friend and one of the coolest ladies on the planet and i remember we had saved enough money to put a down payment on a house you know because i was still guiding and running a snowboard shop and sarah said you know what, let's not buy a house, let's open the fly shop. And I remember wow. like writing the business plan together and all of that stuff. And it was like time for me to go to the bank and ask for the money. And I'm like, this is a horrible idea. And I remember Sarah told me, she's like, oh no, I believe in you, you can do this. And like, if she didn't say that, like I would have just curled into a ball like, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> but because I had that pressure, like I had to succeed. Like she, I, I, I had to, I couldn't disappoint her. Um, I so, love that. so that's, that's kind of how all of that started, but it's so weird. I had done a post a couple weeks ago, kind of just, I had a couple of customers who came in and, and during COVID the, the, uh, people who kept us alive, you know, we had a shutdown here where we weren't open for months and like the, the rally of customers to make sure we didn't go out of business was incredible. And I was at the shop the other day. And I just posted this, that it became glaringly obvious that I don't have customers. We have like a family. And it's oh, so wow. it's so true because fly shops are good fly shops that don't just sell stuff. You know, I mean, we rely on people to support us, obviously. But it's a community. It's like a barber shop in a lot of small towns and stuff. And that's what we've gotten to build. And I'm so proud of that. Like, I can't imagine not having it because all my best friends came from this. My wife came yeah. from this, you know? I mean, all of all of this happened for, you know, just what it is. Well, and I have to say, um, and I'm not trying, but I feel like in Wisconsin, um, like especially in these smaller communities, it really is like a family-based operation. Um, it's uh whether it's like your buddies going fly fishing like i don't know it's just all everyone supports any everybody in the community you kind of know everybody and um 
I think that's so well said. And then and then the word just keeps being spread. Um, what's like one of the hardest things that you had to kind of overcome? I know we talked about COVID shutdown, um, but like when people are starting to think, hey, I'm gonna open up a fly shop. What would be your recommendation, like pros and cons? Well, the, the, the hardest part about a fly shop now, and unfortunately it's just the world, and this isn't just me being bitter or angry or anything, but like we live in an Amazon world where it's really easy to purchase things, you know, from my telephone and, and retail is really suffering. You know, retail is hard because small retail stores, the advantage of the, the small fly shop is we're niche enough that people want to come and talk to somebody about it and then hopefully support you. So the fly business is becoming more difficult even with the growth of COVID, like the truth, the truth is like the retail business is becoming more and more challenging. Um, so that, that, that's just what that is, but we've had to just work extra hard to make sure that we maintain by, you know, running schools and classes and destination travel and a full guide program and an online store. And, you know, I mean, you've got a lot of balls in the air and a lot of plates spinning all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think I completely agree with you, like with the brick and mortar uh, shops kind of getting out. Um, but there's also shops here in Missoula that I'm like, I will go there every day yes. just to kind of make sure that they, you know, I support yes. you. You're like my local. You've been here since 1818, you know, like right. it's not let this go away especially even new new shops because i don't think i don't think that's being bitter i also think that's just the reality of it's, where we are it's the reality of it yeah and i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not bitter about it i just know because i i shop the same way everybody else does but the fly shop community is people come in to hang out buy fly tying material talk fishing stories and that's something you can't get online Absolutely. Like there's also, like you said, there's other options and like there's other things that you can do to start reaching out to other people. But the videos that you're creating and the uh, environment, that's just what it's all about. It's yep. actually community more than yep. anything that fly fishing people really want is like, you know, I don't want to talk to somebody online that's like, how can I help you? And you're like typing like, I am looking for. <laughs> it, it, that's it. If that's that's a good, like, do you do the virtual chat with us? Like, no, call <laughs> yeah. me so we can talk about this. But, you know, and, and that's that's the thing that's really tough fly shop wise, because um, I'm sure you run into it. I know Pam, that works for me runs into it, my wife runs into it, but not all fly shops are super inviting, especially look as a woman or as a young person or anything else, because sometimes they just hire really snotty bad people, you know, like that yeah. that 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 um are, are are reflecting this arrogance or some elitism of what our sport is. And unfortunately, if if a young kid comes in, a woman comes in who's brand new a guy who comes in who's brand new, like we are over the top Midwest nice to them because like, <laughs> like I, I, I want you to not be intimidated. Like this is a safe place. You can ask me questions, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you're, I'm not going to ever think that you're stupid. You know, I mean, I'm never going to give you that impression. And that's what successful fly shops have pulled off. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, sometimes I feel that in fly fishing, if you aren't like the 100% being able to double haul, tie all the knots in a fly tire, then you aren't a fly. Like sometimes I get that vibe. Like, yeah. oh, well, then you aren't really a fly. Like, like can we have like the intermediate, you know, like right. can we have like the ones that are like, hey, I can do all of these things. Like, do I have to be like, the advanced person? Or that's how about like, like, I fly fish, you fly fish. Can we be friends? You know, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit even, you know. And so, at the same time, I mean, like the fish isn't going to be like, hey, I saw you up there. And <laughs> you have a terrible right. tailing loop. I can't possibly <laughs> reply. Your tailing loop looks awful. Your waders are not expensive. I'm not going to take a picture with you. That's right. And so. That's funny. That's funny. I'm yeah. Use that. Cause, <laughs> really? Because sometimes I'm like, you know, we're all in it for the the same reasons we love fly fishing mm -hmm. and we like the benefits of fly fishing. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Um, and I think what's even more fun is um, I think it's, I love seeing my progression with fly fishing from the beginning to like where I am now. And I think like the whole journey of fly fishing is so much fun. That, like, I enjoy it. That like, is I like key. learning new things. That is key. And that is the one thing, like I've, I've had a couple customers come in like, 
And there's only a few times where I get my hackles up a little bit. I've had to get, I fly fished a bunch, but I kind of mastered that. And then I moved on. I'm like, well, that's completely inaccurate. You can never (laughs) master it. And the rabbit hole goes so deeply between, I mean, just species alone, um, you know, traveling, fly tying. Like it is a lifelong sport. It is not like, it's, it's, it's not like anything else. It is a lifelong sport with an incredible community. I agree with that. Yeah. And I also think that with people with fly fishing, and maybe you've you've probably have experienced this with people coming into your fly shop, that they don't like it because they've done it once. Because let's just be honest. I don't know. Maybe it's happened to a lot of people, but I have to be completely honest. When I, other than the brook trout that I thought I was amazing, sure. and then I went onto the, then I went to the water and yep. I wasn't catching fish, I... I I, it was a real struggle for me to, oh, to for enjoy sure. fly fishing yep. the very first like year. I feel so bad for people like when they're starting out and they do like a smallmouth trip or a guide trip and they're learning to cast and stuff. And I don't feel bad for me as a guide. I know that we right. have some struggles and some hurdles to get over with, you know, getting them up to speed to cast. But I just remember the frustration and like, I know where it should go, but I can't make it go there, you know, <laughs> like, and, and I always, I see fish. yeah, yeah. And, and I always tell people, I'm like, man, if it were like the matrix and you could take the blue pill, or the red pill, like if you took this pill, like you can, you can cast 80 feet on a rope and like immediately, um, we would be inundated with fly anglers. But unfortunately there, that is the one hurdle when they come in and they ask me about that. They have all questions about like flies and everything else. I'm like, here's what you need to do. You need to just become proficient as a caster. Don't worry about double hauling and all this. You need to become proficient in a bunch of different situations with wind and all the other things. Take some casting lessons from somebody who's a good instructor, not not your spouse or your buddy. Like go and seek somebody out who does this. Yes. Work on that. And then you can come into the shop and I'm just going to sell you the flies that are going to work. You know, I mean, like, don't worry about that part. Like, worry about the mechanics and, like, getting things dialed a little bit. And then go angling. A bunch. Yes. Absolutely. And I love the tip that you were saying. Like, don't have your spouse teach you how to fly fish. I mean, Justin has obviously keeps giving me tips as I'm fly fishing. Yeah. Um, but How's he that work? The one, How do you he, like that? Well, you know, um, 45 degrees from the boat, I think I heard <laughs> when I first started fly fishing yeah. and I really wanted to take the rod and just like actually like swipe it across <laughs> his face. But um, actually, he wasn't the first one to teach me how to fly fishing. Um, there, We were working on a fly fishing show called, um, what was it? It was uh, fly fishing. The fly fisherman, and it was basically a tutorial on how to fly fish. And they looked around the office, and I was editing, and they're like, Hey, Lauren, get over here. We have some, you know, hosts we want to try out, and um, they're going to teach you how to fly fish. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I went into the the park, and they gave me a fly rod, and um, the host's challenge was to teach me how to fly fish. Nice. And so it was great. Justin was like, This is awesome awesome like he's you know they're recording it and i'm like it's it's so important though lauren because like i i have husbands and wives in the boat all the time or significant others and it's so funny because i'll tell the i'll tell the husband or the wife like whoever like is the angler in the boat and they're like tim just work with them you know you know don't worry about me i want them to have a great time and i'll pull them aside and say okay I'm going to do my job, but I need you to promise me to do your job. And that is to say nothing, to say nothing. You know, like I actually have to have that conversation. Like, I know it's going to kill you. Like, don't tell her to stop on the back cast more or something. Just, just shut your mouth and let me do my job. And it's so funny because I will see the the husband or wife mentioned to their spouse, like maybe uh, just stop the rod right here. And you can see the demon eyes, like the lasers come through the boat. And it's so funny because I can stand up in the rower seat and be like, "Hey, Michael, um, you know what I would do? Stop the rod right here. Let me let me help you with the." And he's like, "Oh, thank you. Great tip, Tim. You know, like I can do that, but your spouse or your friend can't do that. You're too close." Yeah. Oh, it's and you know, actually, this spring um, I've signed up with. Um, I always make it a joke because Justin's always on the oars and he's yeah. always taking me fishing. But this spring, I've signed up with Jay Dixon. I don't, he's a fishing guide here, a long time okay. fishing guide up here. And he's going to take me to teach me how to row. Oh, don't I'm, do that. Don't do that. 
<laughs> Why would you? See, God, I, I would, I would avoid that at all costs. If you want to keep angling, just, just, just please, like, I, you're such a great rower. <laughs> Just a great roller. You know, you're so good. You're so, you know, I think it's because he, we have two boats and um, in the summertime, he's sometimes guiding and I want to go fishing okay. and I have some girlfriends that are like, let's go fishing. And I was like, just okay. do it on the sly then. Don't let them know. Don't let them know Maybe. your skill set. That is actually, I, I mean, I'm probably still going to always be in the bow of the boat, the front of the boat, but it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about it because I was like, I, there's no way I want Justin to teach me because I, I can already imagine it, me reversing the truck, yeah. launching the boat. Yep. Well, well, I, will, I, will, I will say this though, Lauren, like guiding, because I've guided since I was 17, like I've been a guide my whole life pretty much. Guiding has taught me so much about fishing to a point of more than even just fishing. You know, I mean, sitting in a rower seat and understanding what the river is doing, watching people cast, make mistake after mistake. I mean, you get to identify different things. You're looking further ahead than what you would do angling. Like it it does make you far more well-rounded as an angler. Yeah. Um, Have you ever had any crazy experiences um, taking people on a boat? Well, I mean, look, we want run whitewater and all sorts of, you know, stuff like that. Most of our water, smallmouth water is fairly flat water, but we've got some stuff that's like class three and up to class four that we've run hard boats through and some scary, scary stuff. And I had one instance, I may have sent you a picture of, uh, of, of one of these that I'm running a rapids and there's kind of a giant wave train. Um, in a hard boat, we were fishing one of the stretches that has a falls area through it. And it's normally not a big deal at all. It's not, it, you know, I've, I've run it dozens and dozens and hundreds of times. But earlier that day, I don't know, they must have had a pile of rain way up north that I didn't even know about. And they had opened the dam, which happens on occasion. But the river went from like 1,600 cubic feet per second to like 11,000 before lunch. And I'm looking at, and I'm seeing like trees floating past me. I'm like, oh my God, I have to do the, I got to do the falls. And I've got, you know, two older gentlemen and like, okay, there's a portage. And I got to, I got there and I've run it that big, but was not expecting this to go down. But I got the two gentlemen up and around and they're like, Tim, are you nervous? I'm like, oh God, no. You know, my job is to instill confidence all the time. No, I'm not nervous at all. But man, the pucker factor was crazy because... You know, and I ran it clean, but like I dropped in and the first wave is like, I don't know, eight feet of green. And then, you know, I buried the bow in and took on maybe 15 gallons of water and popped back up, but made it through clean. But, you know, I mean, we run into stuff like that. When you're on the river enough, you're going to run into people getting sick. You know, I mean, like things, lots of, lots of goofy stuff. So I'm curious if people are going to make their way to De Pere, Wisconsin, what would you say about your home waters that's more unique around the surrounding area in Wisconsin? Because I haven't been to De Pere yet. Okay, so, so here, here's how it works. The shop is in De Pere. It's, essentially, it's Green Bay. And we have mm-hmm. fishing local right there. But like all of our smallmouth fishing is about an hour and a half north of where the shop is. How it works is I have seven full-time guides that we rent out this old ranger station that's been repurposed and redone for our guide staff. And they stay up there all summer. So basically from middle of May till middle of September, those boys are up there running the river. Um, And it puts us more centrally located to a bunch of the stuff. But where we are, and the reason that I opened the shop where I have, uh, I, I had mentioned to you, I, I met my wife in Big Sky, Montana, and I guided on the Madison, the Gallatin, and the Yellowstone there. But we opened the shop here, not just because this is where I'm from, but the diversity of fishing. I mean, you've, you've, you've tasted the smallmouth and the muskie. Like, that's epic. Yes. Epic awesome. But then we also have, like, the Bay of Green Bay and Lake Michigan. So I have, like, a miniature ocean. We have migratory rainbows or steelhead. We have yes. migratory browns in the fall that can get over 20 pounds. We have Chinook and coho salmon if you want to chase salmon. Um, you know, and then you've got, like, the southwest part of the state where my family's little cabin is we have the driftless area where you know the glaciers didn't go through that zone and it is freaking magical down there i mean it is insane and the trout fishing is off the charts good and it's like it's just such a beautiful area so three and a half hours from there i mean you've, you've got those spring creeks too it's the largest concentration 
of public access that's private land. They've done acquisitions with different landowners to actually buy easements for public fishing on a bunch of the wow. land. It's it's really cool. It's it's unbelievable. I, I you know, now that you say that, I've heard of the driftless area and yeah. um and it's interesting because I think I so just tend to just go up north and yep. I have been to Wisconsin Dells. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> right. And I've done the I've done the Wisconsin Dells. Of Wisconsin Dells. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, we went to go see a the concert. Who did we go see? Not George Jones. Um Gosh, another old timer just like that. And it was awesome because the concert started at four and ended at five. And I think, uh, <laughs> and we're like, what do we go do? And we went to the amusement <laughs> park. Go to a water down. slide. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the days Tommy that Justin Bartlett and I were Water skiing show or something. That's oh, what that is. <laughs> it was, we were like, it was funny because we had moved to Peoria, Illinois for both of our jobs just for two years. Sure. And we made we made the best of it, but um, it's, we never really did explore much of Wisconsin and I know there's so much more waters um to explore like in in that area and it's, I'm it's very just, curious it's, about it's, it it's just so rich with cool fishing stuff and here's the best part I'm I'm, I'm telling everybody about it but like we don't have all the people <laughs> you know I mean yeah and you know I love the rivers out west and so does everybody else but some of those rivers have been loved too much and are getting loved yes. even more and, you know, you start to hear about, like, the Bighorn, 300 boats on a Saturday in 12 miles. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, the Madison. I've got buddies that said, Timmy, like, you, you wouldn't even recognize it. I, I, haven't, I haven't guided there since, like, 95 or 96. You know, and, like, you wouldn't even recognize. Like, there's so many people. Well, and talk about fish that have really changed the way of their eating habits. I mean, I the Madison is completely different where I think you were able to do dries. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of nymphing mm-hmm. and um, that that's the way that you catch them. Um, it's not particularly, I'm not a big nymph angler. Sure. I know that's becoming a new new style euro nymphing yep. but um yeah i think it's great that it, i think it's always important to start looking a little bit further and like different destinations and you don't i mean you can go to wisconsin or you know like there's other awesome places there's a gob of good stuff but but that is that that can kind of circles back to what we talked about earlier that it's a trout centric sport and everybody thinks it's like you've got to go west period yeah. You know, like you've got to fish the rivers of the West, which you do, but there's a lot of other great stuff. And and we're seeing that in our business. We're we've been doing it for a very long time and we've been known for it in the smallmouth world. Um, but I would say thirty percent of our customers are flying here from different parts of the country now, you know? It's, well, it's a I thing. Mean, once you once you have a smallmouth on the fly rod, it yeah. changes it changes your world. It's changed mine. What do you love the most about smallmouth? Well, there's a, I mean, it's the fight is incredible. I mean, that's really cool. But I think what I think is one of the neat parts of smallmouth is every single one of us tries to put a fish on a pedestal like, um, well, it's a brook trout. It's our native species. Or this is a, you know, this is a Yellowstone cutthroat native to, you know, specific areas, you know, that type of thing. But if we look at like brown trout and rainbow trout, like we, other than the West Coast, but like we brought those fish to all different parts of the West yes. and, and beyond. The smallmouth in our watershed is 100% native, has never been planted in any of the watersheds that we fish. Like it is wow. there since the dawn of time, it is our native fish. And the Algonquin word for smallmouth is Ashigan or the one who struggles. And if you, I think it's really beautiful because if you think through deforestation which has happened on all of the rivers you know over time during kind of the industrial revolution like we've 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 basically clear-cut the um both sides of the river and now we're in second third growth but like that fish survived all of that without any other outside influence and we look at um like trout unlimited who i'm very active with all of our local groups and the amount of effort and the amount of money that we put in to rehabilitating trout streams because it's such a fragile species and we have to we haven't had to do that with the smallmouth you know kind of like us right yeah we get knocked down but we, we keep it. surviving keep, keep moving. popping back up does a handspring back up yeah that's it 
<laughs> I love it. Well, Tim, if people are wanting to learn a little bit more about tight lines and especially with these destinations, I mean, I imagine, fingers crossed, like in the next year, things are going to start. Yes. Somewhat coming back to normal. I don't yeah. know if anything will ever be back to normal, but maybe a little bit of normalcy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the best way of them reaching out to you? Well, the, the best way is if you get on our website at www.tightlinesflyshop.com. That'll take you to our website and our online store, and that'll talk about all the guide trips and everything else. Um, those of your listeners who are interested, the book is called Smallmouth Modern Fly Fishing Methods, Tactics, and Techniques, and you'll get kind of a, a good overview of, of what you and I have talked about today. Um, and then you can follow us on social media. It's under Tim Landwer, uh, L-A-N-D-W-E-H-R, or Tightlines Fly Fishing Co. W-I. That's our Instagram. And uh, I mean, there's there's a million ways to follow us and follow our adventures. Well, and also you did share the cabin, um, which I think is such a cool video. <laughs> um, check it out because if there's any time when you say like, if if you've ever said. I'm going to sell my house and move to the woods. That's it. You should watch this. <laughs> this is the cabin that you're going to be moving into. <laughs> and you better be prepared because it does take a little, it takes a lot of work to get um, as set up as that cabin is because oh, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And that's, that's kind of fun. And you get, you, and, and your listeners can also look up our YouTube channel with all the videos and stuff like that. Cause the cabin one is not in our normal list. Of, of, of fishing stuff, but I had so many friends ask me how I made our off-grid cabin like work <laughs> for like my family, my wife, my kids, you know, with solar and everything else. So that's that's why where that one came about. Well, and I love it because it's a cabin. I love I love a cabin, you know, because, yeah. you know, some people tell you they have a cabin and then you go to their cabin it's a home. and it's bigger than your house. And you're like, I'm so sorry. I just did not get the memo that this has a garage. <laughs> right. Oh, a <laughs> no TV offense. in every room. My God. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry for my listeners if you have a cabin with a garage, it's, but. <laughs> yeah, don't call it a cabin. It's embarrassing then, you know. Is, <laughs> if I show up, that's not a cabin. You have 13 <laughs> bedrooms. Like, if I bring my grain belt, I'm expecting to be sitting on your porch <laughs> with my mosquito repellent. I'm going to be there with my lawn mowing beer, my deep woods off. With a hammock with a face on the tree because yes. someone thought that would look really cute on it. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's how I cabin. That's how I cabin right there. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.